You're listening to the news on RTHK. With music, news and information, this is Radio 3. Good morning from me, Peter Lewis. The Times 8.03 in Hong Kong. It's Fed Decision Day, Thursday the 27th of January. We have the latest news and analysis right here on Money Talk on Radio 3. The US Federal Reserve left interest rates on hold at the end of its two-day monetary policy meeting. But Fed Chairman Jerome Powell said that the committee is of a mind to raise the federal fund rates at the March meeting, assuming that conditions are appropriate for doing so. It will be the first increase since December 2018. And in a statement, the Fed said it's preparing for significantly reducing asset holdings. The Bank of Canada kept its benchmark rate at a quarter of a percent, the same level it has held since March 2020. But the Canadian Central Bank indicated that rate hikes would be forthcoming, saying slack in the economy is now absorbed. The European Central Bank has warned European lenders with significant Russian exposure to ready themselves for the imposition of international sanctions against Moscow if it invades Ukraine. ECB officials have asked for details of how the banks would handle different scenarios, such as a move to block Russian banks from accessing the SWIFT international payment system. The Bank for International Settlements estimates international banks have about 121 billion US dollars in assets owed to them by Russian-based entities. China Evergrande's offshore debt restructuring plans have been put in doubt after Los Angeles-based Oak Tree Capital seized a 2.2 million square foot Hong Kong plot known as Project Castle. The residential project in Yunlong was reported to have a value of around $1 billion and was a key piece of collateral in a planned restructuring of Evergrande's $20 billion US dollars of offshore debt. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by personal wealth advisor Enzio von Fahl and Sean Debeau from Eurozone Capital Asia. James McCormack at Fitch Ratings is also with us. Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. US stocks have witnessed a roller coaster session for the third day in a row. All three main indices were up sh- sharply in the morning session. But the gains evaporated and stocks turned lower during Fed Chairman Jerome Powell's press conference after he said there was quite a bit of room to raise interest rates before it would harm the economy. The S&P 500 index erased a 2.2% advance and was down 0.2% by the close at 4,350, leaving it more than 8% lower for the month. The Dow was up more than 500 points at one stage, but ended the day 130 points lower at 34,168. The Nasdaq Composite Index completely shed its gains of 3.4%, ending the session flat at 13,542. And the Nasdaq is in correction territory, down more than 16% from its recent intraday high. Shares of Microsoft rose almost 3%, boosting the three major indices after the company issued better-than-expected quarterly revenue guidance. The Pan-European Stock 600 Index added 1.7%. London's FTSE 100 was 1.3% higher. In Hong Kong, stocks struggled to make headway ahead of the Fed meeting, with the Hang Seng Index ending the day 46 points, or 0.2% higher, at 24,290. 
the Hang Seng Tech Index rallied 0.8%, recovering some of the almost 6% loss seen over the previous three trading days. Mainland China's Shanghai Composite Index was up 0.7% at 3,456. The price of Brent crude oil has topped $90 for the first time since 2014 on rising Ukraine tensions. It rose more than 2% to a session high of $90.42 a barrel, taking its rise to 16% this month. And seven years ago, at its peak, it reached $115 per barrel. Gold fell 1.7% to $1,820 an ounce. The US 10-year Treasury bond yield jumped 10 basis points higher to 1.87%. And the US dollar index is half a percent firmer this morning. The euro is trading at $1.12.4 cents. The bucks at 114 and three quarters. Japanese yen, one British pound buys $1.34 and a half cents and 10 Hong Kong dollars and 49 cents. In offshore markets, the Chinese yuan is trading at 6.34 versus the dollar. And Bitcoin is down around 1% at $36,600. U.S. stock index futures have rebounded about half a percent this morning, and that's helping Asian stocks. In Australia, the SX200 has reopened after a holiday up a quarter percent. The Nikkei 225 in Japan is up 0.4%. In South Korea, the Cosby has risen about 0.2% at the open. Futures markets indicating a decline of about 60 points for the Hang Seng at the open this morning. To 809. Let's go and join our guests over in our Queensway studio. We have with us, as always, on a Thursday morning, personal wealth advisor Enzio von Farr. Morning, Enzio. Good morning, Peter. And joining Money Talk for the very first time, we have, excuse me, we have Sean Debeau, Chief Executive Officer and Chief Investment Officer of Eurozone Capital Asia. Morning, Sean. Good morning, Peter. The US Federal Reserve, you've just heard, left interest rates on hold at the end of its two day monetary policy meeting, but it said a rise will soon be appropriate. In a press conference after the meeting, Jerome Powell clarified that the committee is of a mind to raise the federal funds rate at the March meeting, assuming that conditions are appropriate for doing so. And the central bank said in a statement, with inflation well above 2% and a strong labour market, the committee expects it will soon be appropriate to raise the target rate for the federal funds rate. The FOMC gave no clear indication about when it would end its monthly bond buying program and start reducing bond holdings on its balance sheets. But the committee noted that the program would proceed at just $30 billion in February and indicated that it could completely end in March uh, at the same time as a rate increase. And so Enzio and Sean, um, for the markets, all seemed to be going well um, during the meeting until the press conference afterwards when um, Jerome Powell started to speak. And one of the things that was significant was he um, refused to rule out a Fed rate hike at every single meeting now between now and the end of the year. So what do you make of uh, what the FOMC and particularly Jerome Powell has said today? Well, again, I'm going to grind on. It's always the trying to solve a cyclical problem, trying to solve a structural slowdown with a cyclical tool. I call them knitting needles, the monetary policy. Um, I just think that there's so much cost push inflation around 
the spare capacity in oil is down by about, is being forecast to being slashed by 40%. The U.S. labor force has been cut by 2 is 2% lower than it used to be. There are 3 million less workers in America. These are cost push factors that just don't go away by easing interest rates. Um, so I'm back to me camp of stagflation. Um, and I think, I mean, he's doing what he can. You can't expect a central bank chief to, to run all of economic policy, but I think it's just, it's, it always just remains a little bit myopic in my mind. Are, are we any clearer um, on the Fed's path forward after the first rate hike, which it seems pretty clear is going to come in March? Do we have any better sense of what happens next? The market does. The market's giving us a flat yield curve, which for an economist means that the global growth outlook, especially America's, as I was just hinting, is not so hot. And it means in- the Fed is making a mistake. I'm not going to say that because I'm not it's, – it's easy to be a Monday morning quarterback or a Friday morning linebacker, whatever you call them. Um, I was in baseball. But I just think that the um, – it, I, I feel that there's a lot of groupthink going on. Indeed, there was one very interesting Fed fellow who just came out with the book, Mr. Honig, I believe. And he was also saying that the Fed had been easing far too much monetarily over the years, he was the only one. The others were all group think ease, ease, ease. And mm-hmm. I think also, by the way, that the U.S. government is in such debt, such hawk, that it just can't raise the rates too much. But I think the flat yield curve is suggesting a slowdown in the U.S. economy, that consumer confidence index is down. The IMF has just come out saying that global growth forecasts, they've slashed by about 25% mm-hmm. um, That's globally. A big, big it's a cut, big cut, wasn't it? Big, big chunk, yeah. And, um, of course, I'm a sense for I am fired, so one doesn't know quite, you know, whether they're going to be right or wrong. That's not really the point. I think it's going to be about 2 2.5% growth this year globally, but that's my own view. I mean, if we take a look, Peter, at what happened last night, the uh, market was very strong into the press conference. But really what we saw after that was sell on the news. I think that Jerome Powell will be uh, congratulated for the way that he's been very diligent in communicating well to the market. It is not the Fed's job to shock and surprise. It's the Fed's job to be very reliable and to be very dependable. And I think that he's been true to that. So he's been consistent with his uh, his. Benefits benchmarks on, on where he would make adjustments. He's, he's kept to that, and now he's communicating his next uh, path. And the market likes consistency and, and dependability. And you spoke earlier about the workforce. And yes, I fully agree with you, Anzil, that there's a meaningful number of jobs that aren't present in the marketplace right now. But also, let's consider about the change in the workforce, the change in the nature of work, and also the fact that we could congratulate the United States for adapting and changing, like many other countries, the fact that work is changing. So people are taking, we've seen a record number, 1.5 million people taking early retirement. That's very unprecedented. But at the same force time the gig economy people working from home people working flexibly people working with Mm. software development innovation that needs change in the economy and i would applaud the fed for the fact that they're navigating through this and looking forward one thing I want to take issue there with, uh, Sean, is do, do you think the Fed really has been that predictable? Because we've seen quite a few policy U-turns um, under Jerome Powell's tenure at the Fed, the most recent one being the very abrupt swift, uh, switch from inflation being transitory to now um, being a big surprise in terms of just how persistent it is. They have, they have changed tack abruptly several times, haven't they? I think that when we... Uh 
review the performance of Jerome Powell, we have to also consider the the, the term that he's been operating. Uh, I don't believe that there's an uh, epidemiologist or health expert who's been able to predict uh, correctly not only what's going on, the duration of what's going on, but how it's taken turns to the left and the right and, and what age groups. So I think he's actually done a very good job in really tremendously unprecedented times to navigate well. And I would applaud him for taking tax to the left and the right. I would, I would be very critical of him if he was rigid and stayed to his mm. force and didn't change. I want a Fed chair that is mindful of what's going on at Main Street as well as Wall Street and adjusting accordingly. Um, Enzio, you, you said you think the Fed's making a mistake. Uh, you've used the knitting needles um, analogy. But also, is, is there a, a, just a general lack uh, at the Fed at the moment of any sort of systematic framework for monetary policy? It seems to be totally discretionary now about what happens. There doesn't seem to be any relationship anymore between the Fed's fund rates and sort of economic data like inflation, like employment, uh, like, like the output gap. Is that, is that a mistake? We used to have the Taylor Rule, didn't we? You remember that? Which at least, even if you didn't like it, it did give you a guide as to where rates should be. If we followed that now, rates should be about 10%. Yes, uh, Volcker actually pumped them up to 19 when we had the last inflation, last, last stagflation. I don't think the U.S. government can afford a 10% rate. I think that a 10% on the treasuries would just crucify the U.S. government. But isn't a question of it may not be able to afford it, but if that's what's required, um, that's what they have to do. Ah, but that's again trying to solve a structural problem with a cyclical tool, the knitting needle. I just mm. don't, I think that having grown up in America for many years, I think, for instance, the middle class education system is pretty shonky. It is not, despite what, what Sean very astutely is pointing out with the gig economy and all of this, this very great flexibility, which really is a highlight of the Americans, I find. Um, I don't think that the, that the middle class educational system, forget NYU and schools like that, um, just the normal stuff isn't really getting trained for tomorrow's jobs. The literacy rates are probably illiteracy 13 to 30% in America, not good. 30% more in Appalachia than on the West Coast, mm. say. So um, I, I, I don't think that the Fed is out of touch with economic data. I think, first of all, as Sean was pointing out in a different guise, some of the data isn't being measured in today's ways. We were discussing about leasing methods before, and um, there have been new ways of, of, of measuring leasing. Apparently, it's really not my world. The same thing with employment. I've been trying to egg around with labor force participation rates. Whoa, get your head around that. Um, so, and the other point is, of course, that they do have to have a view, and they get. To, I, th I agree with Sean. They get to change their mind. My point is just: I think that groupthink is so much ease, ease, ease um, that it's just gone very. It's become basically an ideology. Given Sean how much the economy has changed, and you've articulated mm. there very well the, the changing nature of the labour markets, um, can the the Fed really make very much difference these days? Let's suppose. They do go ahead and we have four 25 basis point rate hikes uh, by the end of the year. In the grand scheme of things, they're just small incremental hikes, aren't they? And it still leaves monetary policy uh, very loose uh, at the end of it. So will any of this make any difference to the economy or to employment? 
I think they will indeed. Uh, I think when we consider one of the overall structural obligations of any central bank is to act as guardrails to the economy. And they need to be there on the left and the right edge to make sure that as things uh, either grow or deteriorate, that they grow or deteriorate in a particular uh, range. Jerome Powell was very clear that his key objective was the the, uh, labor market, the employment rate, and he's been able to achieve that. So Once we have people back to work in the United States and in much of the developed world, that has a knock-on effect that's very positive to the the economy. That starts to get people out uh, consuming, spending. And, and 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 growing the overall economy but there is a delay factor it's it this is this is a very you know large mm. super tanker that they are moving this is not a discrete little joystick that they're working with but we're still going to end up with monetary policy with fed fund rates maybe one percent one and a quarter percent when inflation's over seven percent it's still incredibly loose isn't it uh, inflation is 7% today, but there's lots of reasons to say that inflation may not be 7% in the foreseeable future. I think living in Hong Kong, we can all just look out our windows and see that there's currently some challenges, particularly in logistics and shipping. That has a knock-on effect mm. to Main Street. and But that's not going to continue forever. We will see return of containers back to Hong Kong. We will see uh, an, a new a way of dealing with the uh, the decanting of containers and the, and the restacking of containers. Mm-hmm. We'll start to see those channels open up. Maybe this turns out to be a very positive opportunity for the major ports such as Hong Kong, Shanghai, Long Beach, where we see an increased amount of automation and, and, and take away some reasonably dangerous jobs. And that, in turn, will work its way back into the price of goods at the end uh, at, at Main Street, and that will take some uh, pressure off the inflation that we're seeing right now. So you're thinking inflation is close to peaking? I do think so. What about the balance sheets? Uh, Jerome Powell indicated that it's going to be reduced. He said uh, it could be reduced significantly. It's currently $9 trillion. Any sense of what is an appropriate size for the Fed's balance sheets and how do we get from $9 trillion to wherever that's going to be without causing market turmoil? Really, no FT, no comment. I'm not a Fed balance sheet guy. Um, Again, I, I get back, though, to your point. I think that money that money will remain quite loose for a long time for the very simple point that the U.S. government just is so in debt that it just can't mm-hmm. afford for these things to go up too much. So, And, and I, I'm also with Sean that it, it's steady eddy. I, I don't think the, the Fed isn't trying to sort of jerk people around with a hot idea. Um, and so that he's announcing what he wants to do. Um, I think that's whether we look, we're, we're taking at the edges because nobody really even can, I don't think, fathom even the reduction in the balance sheet. Go and analyze that. Give me a specific result of that. I think it's for an economist so it would be very, very difficult because you don't know all the ricochet effects coming through. Sean, what do you think is going to be the impact in Hong Kong? Obviously, we have the, the links, the pegged exchange rates, so uh, we are dependent on Fed policy. What, what's going to be the impact here? Well, first of all, we have extraordinary low deposit and extraordinary low uh, loan rates in Hong Kong. The Hong Kong banking system has seen growth in 2021 over 2020, and we've also seen a very considerable growth in assets under management in Hong Kong. So there is certainly room for the Hong Kong banking system 
to keep rates uh, steady for at least one and maybe even two 25 basis point uh, rises from the Fed. But that will, in time, have to move lockstep. My mm -hmm. personal view is that Hong Kong is more than comfortable to sustain some uh, rises in uh, loan rates. Uh, this is not the most indebted economy. And also, the, uh, the, the nominal rate of interest in Hong Kong is still extraordinarily low. And, and, and people here do not take a high degree of leverage in day-to-day -day businesses. In financing, which Hong Kong is so uh, preeminent in, in uh, rising rates will have almost immediate impact on the amount of leverage that uh, financial investors take, and that will be commensurate to the market environment. So I think that is uh, qu quite in, in, in line. Okay. Thank you both very much. You heard there Sean DeBeau, Chief Executive Officer and Chief Investment Officer of Eurozone Capital Asia and Personal Wealth Advisor in von File. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. RTHK 8.23. With me now is James McCormack, Global Head of Sovereign Ratings at Fitch Ratings. Morning, James. Hello, James. Well, hopefully, <laughs> James is there over in... Um, over in our Queensway studio, we'll try and get him um, in a moment so that we can try and get his analysis of, uh, of what the Fed is saying um, about, about, the, uh, about the rate rises. As you heard earlier this year, uh, earlier this morning, Fed's left interest rates on the hold at the end of its two-day monetary policy meeting in the early hours this morning. But it said a rate highs will soon be appropriate. James, are you there? I am here, yes. Okay, James McCormack, Head of uh, Sovereign Ratings at Fitch Ratings. Let me get your uh, thoughts first of all on what the Fed did overnight. Well, I, I suppose we're a little bit surprised in that the Fed has changed so quickly in terms of the narrative over the last few months and, you know, reflecting a little bit about what your previous guests were saying. Um, it was only a couple of months ago that inflation was transitory, um, no real need to be, to be too quick off the mark in terms of rate hikes or, you know, thinking about balance sheet um, reduction. But all of that is in play now. We think that their reading of the employment, the labor market in particular, has changed. Now it's characterized as strong. So that was mm. the word that was that was used yesterday, um, and that tees us up for for rate hikes uh, this year and balance sheet reduction. So things have changed quite quickly. Do you think the Fed has been too reactive rather than proactive, and and it's left itself now in a bit of a bind in that it's got to start raising rates, and it could be doing it at a time when inflation is close to peaking and the economy is peaking as well. Well, they do need to be reactive to some degree uh, in the sense that there was um, some uncertainty as to what the what the jobs market was was really looking like. I think it was difficult for anyone to get a read on how much slack there has been and continues to be in the U.S. labor market just by virtue of the fact that many people have left the labor force. So there is a debate, an ongoing debate, really, in terms of, um, you know, will, will some of the people, at least some of the people who have left the labor market, come? 
come back into mm. the labor market. If they do, then there's less slack than, than we think. Um, but it appears that at least some of those departures will not return. Some of them are early retirements, as has been discussed earlier, uh, and they won't come back. So the labor market is a little bit tighter. So I, I you know, they're, they're just reading the numbers like everyone else and trying to trying to feel their way through this. So it's uh, it's hard to make policy decisions when they're when there's forecast uncertainties. So we we're pretty clear, or it seems to be clear that we're going to get a rate hike at the next meeting, which is in March. Are we any clearer about what happens after that? Um, I think so. Uh, I, I think they'd like us to to take the message that the balance sheet reduction is going to be I don't think they'll go back to the language of watching paint dry because that didn't that didn't go over so well. But I think they would like to convey the message that that will be a predictable path in terms of in terms of balance sheet reduction. So I, I don't think they want to use the balance sheet reduction exercise as something that they tweak as they go. I think they'd like to have a, a defined path there and mm-hmm. follow it. And then the interest rate adjustments will be tweaked as we go, depending on, on the data. Um, so I, I think we know roughly what to expect. Interest rates would be rising. It's either going to be three or, or, or more rate hikes this year and going into next year and balance sheet reduction happening in the background. He, he didn't deny when asked at the press conference um, whether or not there could be rate hikes at every single meeting now this year, which will be, what, another uh, six more or six, six more meetings, six rate hikes. Do you think that's possible? I think that would be a little bit aggressive. I'm not sure anyone's got a six number penciled in for, for rate hikes this year. Um, look, no, not denying something is not the same as confirming. So I, I, I wouldn't read too much into, into that. I, I think central banks always like to have the maximum amount of policy flexibility in front of them and not mm. commit to anything before they really need to, um, but at the same time providing broad guidance. So the Fed has got this $9 trillion balance sheet. Jerome Powell said it's going to be reduced substantially. Do you have a sense of what is the right level that the size of that balance sheet should be? Yeah, that's a hard one. Um, I, I don't think anyone has a sense of what the right level of it is going to be because we've never really been in, in this kind of position before. You know, people are talking about something in the range of four to six trillion uh, dollars, which is which is still a very very large uh, balance sheet. Um, I think it's helpful to think about it in terms of the size of the economy. So relative mm. to GDP, GDP is now running something in the order of say twenty three trillion. So the Fed's balance sheet grows in nominal terms, or had grown in nominal terms naturally, um, but is has been roughly the same share of of GDP until we've gone to quantitative easing. So that suggests that it, it will come down, but it's not going to go to something like one or two trillion. It's going to be, you know, something in the order of three trillion or higher, I would I would guess. So four to six is the number you hear people talking about. So even if we go to four to six, that could be a potential halving of the size of the balance sheet. How does the Fed get there um, without causing some major market turmoil? Um, I think the operative world will be slowly so I don't think they'll be in any hurry to, to you know, move forward with with that. Um, look, it, you know, they hold mortgage mortgage backed securities in U.S. Treasuries. The the market for U.S. Treasuries is deep, 
and wide. It's the world's largest uh, credit market. So I think most observers are reasonably confident that the market, the global market, can absorb um, a larger share of the U.S. Treasury issuance. What does this mean for other central banks around the world? I'm thinking maybe particularly the ECB. They've been coming under some pressure uh, to also start considering um, rate rises. Where do you think the ECB is at? I think they're in the same position they were uh, a couple of months ago. We're not expecting to see anything from the ECB. There were some rumblings about the Bank of Japan also a week and a half ago, and the governor you know, put a stop to that essentially in his comments. So the ECB and the Bank of Japan, we don't see them moving at all this year, probably not even next year. So I don't think this really changes the calculus very much for them. Emerging market central banks, maybe because, uh, you know, they've already started to, to act mm. and they have to think about the exchange rates. Are they in a better position to withstand this, given that they have, as you say, started to act already? Some of the major emerging market central banks in Russia and Brazil, uh, for example, have raised rates already several times this uh, last year. Yeah, they've been very quick off the mark. Um, better positioned, I, I suppose, you know, they have other things they need to be concerned about. I mentioned the exchange rate, and that's probably the biggest thing um, that's, that's on their minds. Um, so they have this additional constraint, if you will. Uh, so I, I'm not sure better positioned is the right way to think about it. They're just under a little bit more stress. James, thanks very much for coming in. That's James McCormack, Global Head of Sovereign Ratings at Fitch Ratings. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. In Asian stock markets, they now seem to be slipping back into negative territory. The ASX 200 is now down about a quarter of a percent. Uh, in Japan, the Nikkei 225 is off 0.2%. The Cosby in South Korea, down about 0.7%. Looks like the Hang Seng is going to lose about 70 or 80 points or so at the open. A lot of movement in the commodity markets as well. Uh, Brent crude oil come off of its highs that it reached in the US session. It reached a seven-year high above $90 at one stage. It's at $88.55 a barrel at the moment. Gold is trading at $1,820 an ounce. I'll be back tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock with more Money Talk. Back chats coming up next after the news with Jim Gould and Paul Zimmerman. The weather forecast for today... Mainly cloudy, sunny intervals, maximum temperature of around 22 degrees, and it's going to be mainly cloudy tomorrow. Temperatures will fall appreciably on Saturday night. It's 19 degrees right now, 86% relative humidity. 8.32, here's Andrew Shrofsky with the half-hour news. An environmentalist says Hong Kong cannot continue to rely on its three landfill sites to handle waste. William Yu, the CEO of World Green Organization, was commenting after the government said it would study building a waste incinerator in Changchui in Tunmun. Mr. Yu said it would be the second such incinerator after the one in the Soko Islands, which will come online in 2025 using older but proven moving great technology. He said a consultation should be held once the government finishes its environmental impact assessment. Unfortunately, our waste amount per capita compared to other cities is quite high. And when you look at the experience when the waste charging scheme has been launched in other cities, a significant reduction in the waste amount, that would be good. But I think at the same time, it takes time to build the recycling habit. So we still need some modern scientific facilities to treat our waste. 
The government says it found no new COVID-19 cases from an overnight lockdown and testing operation at a block in Tungchung. Block 7 of Coastal Skyline Phase 3 was cordoned off last night after authorities detected cases there. Some 730 residents were tested. The World Trade Organization has authorized China to impose retaliatory duties on U.S. imports to a value of more than 600 million U.S. dollars annually. Beijing had challenged American tariffs levied on Chinese goods ranging from solar panels to steel wire. Here's Aaron Tam. The ruling allows China to take action to balance out what the WTO ruled were unfair U.S. fees on some Chinese goods, including thermal paper, solar panels, wind towers, steel sinks, and several types of pipes. Beijing is now authorized to impose duties on $645 million U.S. worth of U.S. imports per year. The dispute stretches all the way back to 2012 when the WTO set up a panel of experts to try to settle a complaint filed by China over what it said were unfair duties imposed by the United States. The U.S. Federal Reserve has signaled that it plans to begin raising its benchmark interest rate as soon as March. The move would be a key step in reversing its pandemic-era low-rate policies that have fueled hiring growth, but also escalated inflation. Fed Chairman Jerome Powell made the announcement at a press conference. At the Federal Reserve, we are strongly committed to achieving the monetary policy goals that Congress has given us, maximum employment and price stability. In support of these goals, the federal 